Be seated. Let's take God's word together tonight and turn to the New Testament book of Jude, if you would. That's the second to the last book of the Bible. If you go all the way to the end and find the book of Revelation, and just before that is the little book called Jude. And we won't be here long, a little bit of a different sermon tonight. Many of you know that today is the day that the world celebrates death and horror and witchcraft. Today is the day that the whole world gets drunk on wickedness and evil. And they think it's harmless. The worst part about it is they have commercialized in such a way as to make it appealing to children. And uh, we sometimes you hear professing Christians say, what's the big deal of going around dressing up and receiving candy? What's the big deal? The big deal is the whole premise of it all is evil. A day that celebrates witches and ghosts and spirits and murderers. There's nothing good about it. If you want candy, then by all means, go to Tesco and buy it. But don't partake in this nonsense. The book of Jude, verse number one, Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called. Mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Whilst the world celebrates darkness, we as God's people celebrate light, the opposite. We celebrate life, which is found in Christ Jesus alone. The scriptures say that you and I are born dead in trespasses and sins. And can I just say to you this evening, if you've never, ever known the Lord as your Savior, if you've never been born again, that's not just a funny expression that we use. That's what takes place when somebody's eyes are opened to the reality of their sin and the judgment that is to come but also the reality that Jesus paid for that sin. That's what it means to be born again. The light switch comes on. Your new life is breathed into your body. and You become a different person. Can I ask you this evening, are you any different today? Are you a different person? 504 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 Theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, marking the Beginning of what is now called the Reformation. Oftentimes people say, what on earth was it all? And there was much that took place that was a bit messy in the Reformation, of course. What do you expect when for centuries, uh, many of these people for centuries lived in darkness. And finally they were seeing the light and coming out of the darkness of the Roman Catholic Church and the deadness of religion. And uh, it was a reformation, a reforming. And uh, you, you might say, well, were you, are you reformed? That's a term we use oftentimes these days. And I would hesitate from using that term because I, I've never been a part of the Catholic Church myself personally. But I understand and I identify with some of the true central teachings of that movement. I want to speak about some of those things tonight. Based upon what Jude says here, Jude says, look, when I wanted to talk to you of the common salvation, 
It was needful for me in speaking to you about common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you to challenge you that you should earnestly contend for the faith. In every generation, God's people must earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered. We must stand up for what is true. And by the way, in 2021, the people of God more than ever need to stand for the truth of God's word. There has been a a flood of false doctrine uh, rushing into the church today. There's been a flood of, of nonsense that is pushed in. And just as there was a need 504 years ago for someone and someones to stand up against the onslaught of, of that evil teaching and doctrine which was contrary to God's word, the same thing is needed today. That we would earnestly contend for the faith. When you think about what took place those 504 years ago, oftentimes uh, the teachings that were highlighted uh, during that time period were sort of summed up with five solas. You may have heard that before. The word sola is a word that means only. And I want to run through these as they're found in God's word this evening. That The Lord may help us to see that we are just as much in need today of standing upon the scriptures. In fact, the first of those five solas was sola scriptura. Literally means only scripture. What had happened through the course of time is that man had begun to add to God's word. Now they didn't write in it necessarily, but they began to add and put on the same level as God's word traditions. Turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes to Timothy about the importance of God's word. And we oftentimes say that God's word is our only rule of faith and practice. Meaning this, we do not look anywhere else. We don't look to the head of a convention. We do not look to the top of a denomination that tells us what we're allowed to believe and what we're not allowed to believe. Somebody once said to me, where's your headquarters? I said, in heaven. I didn't like that. No, 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 no. Where's your your headquarters? You know, uh, no, no, heaven. Our boss is Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. He's the commander in chief, as it were. And therefore, we can agree when those men many years ago said sola scriptura, only God's word will guide us and lead us. We stand today and say, uh, hear, hear, amen. We agree. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, listen to what Paul writes. That, that, and that from a child, thou hast known the holy scriptures. Can I say, fathers and mothers, are you teaching your children the holy scriptures? From a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you where we find salvation? Where we find what it is to be saved and how someone can be saved? It's found in the word. Only in the word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. Now, it's not a new problem today. It's, a, it's an age-old problem. But man, from the very beginning, have been attacking the word of God. Satan is at the bottom of that. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden? He came alongside of Adam and Eve and said, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not surely die. 
He didn't mean that. When he said that, when God told you, if you eat this fruit, you'll die, you're not really going to die. Here's what he was saying. Not everything that God says is true, is right. We're living in a generation where people like to pick, don't they? They like to pick through these pages and find the verses they like the most and the parts they like the most to the neglect of other parts. And the parts that they don't really like and that don't really go along with their theology, they ignore. But I declare unto you once again that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. Every verse, all of it is inspired of God. Literally, God breathed. Peter explains a little bit more, sheds some light on it. And he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1, 21, For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man. Meaning, men didn't get up and just talk about what they wanted to talk about. But holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So what you hold in your hands, this eternal book is God's word. With confidence, we, we believe that every word in it was inspired of God. There aren't any accidents in it. There aren't any parts that you can overlook. Now, there are some people today who would like to say, I don't like the Apostle Paul because they don't like the, what he wrote about. Well, they don't like this bit, and so they'd rather remove it. And so they cannot stand by sola scriptura. They cannot say with the Apostle Paul that all Scripture is given by inspiration because they've begun to dismantle the Scriptures. And can I say it's a dangerous thing when you begin to say this part of the, of the Bible shouldn't be there and that part shouldn't be there. That's not actually accurate. When you begin to do that, then how do you know what you can trust? When you begin to say, no, 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 uh, he, he got it wrong and, and uh, that, that, that's actually, um, the book of Genesis is actually, that's just, uh, that's poetry. That's what that is. I mean, where do you draw the line? Sola Scriptura. This principle is not optional, it's a must. It's the, the foundation of our faith is only the Scriptures. It's not the Scriptures plus tradition. May God change us. It's easy for us to stand here and throw stones at the Roman Catholic Church because we can see clearly how they've added tradition to the Word. But I'm afraid that many of us, many denominations today have done the same thing. Many of the reformers, not very long after, began to do the very same thing. Sola Scriptura, they'd stand by and very soon they said, Sola Scriptura and the Confession. The Heidelberg Confession or the Westminster Confession of Faith. And it was no longer Sola Scriptura, it was Sola Scriptura and the Confession. May God keep us from such silliness. I heard recently of a church not long ago that was being planted in the city center and, and they were going to begin their church plant by having Monday night Bible studies. Well, I actually heard that it wasn't actually Bible studies, it was Monday night Westminster Confession of Faith studies. Okay. Okay, don't call it a Bible study if it's a confession study. We have to be careful that we don't elevate our interpretation of scriptures or, or another man's interpretation of scriptures on the same level as scriptures themselves. Otherwise, we become guilty like Rome of saying the scriptures plus the Pope because the Pope tells us how to interpret it and understand it. Or the confession tells us how to interpret it or understand it. It's not the scriptures plus the vicar, not the scriptures plus the pastor, not the scriptures plus another book like the Mormons. The Bible and the pearl of great price, they say, or whatever it is. The Book of Mormon and some other book. No, no, no. 
Only God's word. Only God's word. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 4. The second one of the defining marks of that movement was solus Christos. Only Christ. Now I love this. Everybody who was alive when, well not everybody, but the disciples understood what this meant. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Our salvation is found only in Jesus Christ alone. Christ alone. It's not Christ and your works. It's not Christ and your baptism. It's not Christ and your church. It is Christ alone. When Jesus hung on the cross, he said, it is finished. Christ alone. We sing sometimes in Christ alone. Beautiful song. My hope is found. I wonder tonight, are you trusting in Christ alone? In the book of John chapter 14, the Lord Jesus speaking to his, his beloved followers. He said, don't let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Now Thomas answers back and he says, Look, Lord, we don't know where you're going. We know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus alone. In fact, Christ said in another place that nobody knows the Father except the ones that Jesus has revealed him to. You want to know God? And you've got to come through Christ. There's no other way. There are some people who believe that if you're not a part of this church, you're not going to make it. That's blasphemy. You've replaced the finished work of Jesus Christ. Christ alone. Some people think, well, you, you got to believe on the Lord Jesus and you got to be baptized. Wrong. Paul said, he sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Do, do I believe you ought to be baptized? I do believe you should. It's a command in scripture. But it does not purchase your salvation. Sola scriptura. Only the scriptures, only Christ. And we have two. Sola de gracia, only grace. Only by grace and sola fide, only by faith, through faith alone. Ephesians chapter 2, look, look at it with me, please. I love this portion of scripture. Maybe you're here tonight and you're saying, I've never been saved. I've never been changed. I need to be changed. What do I need to do? Do I need to give money to the collection? Do I need to come to church every week and maybe that'll change me and that'll make me a Christian? Nobody was ever made a Christian by going to church. Somebody once said it like this. You're no more a Christian because you sit in a church than you are a car because you sit in a garage. Have you been changed? Paul writes to the Ephesians chapter 2 and verse number 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. One of the things that makes our faith different than any other faith in the whole world is that we understand there's nothing we do that earns our salvation. 
I don't mean to disappoint you, but you cannot get to heaven because you were a good boy or a good girl. You don't work your way to heaven because you behaved yourself or because you followed this person and you followed, well, follow Jesus, but not this man or that church. For by grace are you saved. Grace is simply the favor of God, the kindness of God, that God would look down upon you and me and, and offer unto us kindness and love that we never deserved. In fact, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, while you and I were still living in sin, Christ died for us. That's grace. And it's amazing that grace is. Uh, Romans chapter 3, that's why our man John Newton wrote that beautiful hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Romans chapter 3, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Rome. And in verse number 24, I wish the Roman Catholic church would read the letter to the church at Rome. They might be helped in a lot of ways. But Romans chapter 3 and verse number 24, being justified freely by His grace. Not the church. Not because you, you kept the seven sacraments or the five pillars of Islam. No, no, no. Justified through grace. That's what makes us different. That's what makes this faith different. Freely justified. Freely made right with God by God's grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. What a privilege. Uh, it's encouraging to me every once in a while I feel like a failure. Most days I feel like a failure. You ever felt, felt like that? You ever feel like you just aren't living up to as you, as you should live up? You ever felt that? I feel that way often. But I'm encouraged that it, I'm not saved based upon my performance. It's based upon His grace. We sing, the majority of our songs sing, uh, declare this marvelous grace of our loving Lord. His grace is amazing. And what an amazing thing when you get to the place when you suddenly realize you can cease from your labors. Jesus said, come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden. The ones who are trying to get to God, trying and working and laboring, but they're burdened by their sin and burdened by the continual sense of failure. And Jesus said, come to me and I'm going to give you rest. We're saved only by God's grace. Can I just say the moment you start adding to grace is the moment you cheapen the work on the cross. Is the moment you say what Jesus did on the cross wasn't enough and he needed your help to finish it. Nonsense. There's another teaching that must be articulated here at this moment. Salvation didn't, doesn't just start by grace, it finishes with grace. I'm saved by grace and kept by grace. Spurgeon, you've heard me say it before, wrote a tiny little book called All of Grace, meaning from the beginning to end, it's God's grace. It was God's grace, His kindness to me that picked me up out of the miry pit and set my feet upon a rock. It's God's grace that keeps me walking the straight and narrow. It's God's grace that comes after me when I stumble and fall and picks me up. It's God's grace that holds me by the hand and leads me, I trust, one day over Jordan and into the promised land. All by God's grace. That ought to make you want to live for him. Yeah. I don't live for him because I'm trying to earn God's favor. I live for him because of what he's done for me. Only the scriptures, only Christ, only by grace and only through faith. The finished work of Christ, the 
perfect, righteous, sinless account, the imputed righteousness of God Almighty is received by faith alone. You say, okay, I see that Jesus died for me. That's amazing. So how do I, how do I get that forgiveness of sins? And how do I get that what I need to be right with God? What do I need to do? No, no, it's not about what you need to do. It's you believe by faith. You just simply believe by faith that Jesus paid it all. Faith. But you know, we have a hard time with that, don't we? We're the kind of people that like to work for things and we like to feel like we've done a good job. You know, I, I, uh, the Lord really humbled me this morning and, and, uh, I've often thought, well, we're starting to make something out of this field and we've got a nice wall up now and some insulation and soon we'll put another little bit up here. And this morning, God, in about five minutes, turned this old tent upside down. The wind came in and I'm telling you, if you were inside of this tent, it, well, at least I was frightened for my life, but uh, this, this whole tent raised up, the wall absolutely collapsed behind there. Uh, pegs were being ripped from the ground. And I realized very, very quickly how almighty and how powerful God is. It's not about the works of our hands. It's not about what we've done and who we are and what we've accomplished. All is because of God's amazing grace. And we by faith must believe that. We've got to believe and trust that the Lord Jesus is working and, and our faith not be in the works of our hands, but our faith be in the finished work of Christ. May the Lord teach us these amazing truths. Do you know, in fact, the, the, the one thought that caused Martin Luther to begin to turn in his thinking from being one of the most prominent monks and priests in the Roman Catholic Church and uh, rising, climbing the ladder of success there amongst his peers... So he began to study the scriptures and came upon Romans chapter 1 and verse number 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Would you look this way for a moment? Are you living by faith? Are you living by faith? The Bible says without faith it is impossible to please him. But can I just throw out there for a moment, the Western world has conditioned us to believe that life is no longer about living a life of faith, but living a life of safety. Therefore, we have put in place many safety nets. We've got our savings account in case things get really bad. We've got plan B. That way, if we mess up this one, we've got this to fall back on. I remember when I first went to Bible college to study to be a minister, one of my relatives said, okay, uh, what's your what's your plan B? I said, I haven't got one. What if this doesn't work out? I said, it will. But what if it doesn't? You got to have something else to fall back on. What are you going to do if this doesn't work out? And, and this is the way we've been conditioned to think. We're no longer living by faith. We're no lo- longer living day by day, trusting the Lord. We want to... We want to see the money in the bank account so we know that the next few weeks and few months we've got enough money to live and we can pay the bills and, and we're not going to go hungry. We want to be sure. We've forgotten what it is to live by faith. One of the defining characteristics of God's people is they learn to live by faith. Elijah, we love Elijah on the mountaintop as he calls down fire, prays down fire from heaven and consumes all the false prophets. We say, yes, Elijah, victorious Elijah. But we don't like the idea of sitting by a brook and letting their birds bring you food every single day. We don't like that idea. 
We want to have our refrigerator and our cupboard. We want to know where, where it's all coming from. Are you living by faith? And the last one, one of those defining marks that were mentioned, defined in that era is only the glory of God. Scriptures alone, Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthian church, and he, he touches on this little idea, this principle. One of the great problems in the world today is that many, many churches and many organizations are operating in such a way that man gets all the glory. But Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and he says, You see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. And I wrote amen in my Bible right there because I'm not either, I'm neither wise or mighty or noble. You see, brethren, not many mighty, not many noble, not many wise. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. The base things of the world and the things which are despised hath God chosen. Yea, and the things which are not to bring to naught or to bring to nothing things that are, that appear to be something. Why? Why did God choose? Look here for a moment. Why is it that God delights in reaching way down and, and saving some wretched sinner? Why does he do that? Here's the way we think. Well, you know, boy, look at that person. Uh, that's a, that's a, a, a big football star. If they were saved, they could really be used of God. We think like that, don't we? Or look at that politician. He's so well-spoken and so well-groomed well and good-looking that if he got saved, he or she could really be used of God. That's the way we think. But that's not the way God thinks. God delights in picking up the rubble. He likes to pull together a bunch of ragamuffins. Look at the 12 disciples. Not one of them were anything to be desired in the world's eyes. Why does he do it like that? Verse 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. Do you know why this whole system, this whole uh, orchestration of God's salvation, this mystery, that we could be saved through the, through, the, through the death of a man on the cross, not just any man, the man Christ Jesus, God in the flesh, that he could die for our sins, be buried and rise again. And that all we've got to do is believe that he died for us. Why? How come it's not something a little bit more elaborate you know surely we can get uniforms or something you know and surely there's got to be something we can contribute no no no. because if you could contribute anything then it would not be all for the glory of god if you could contribute anything to your salvation then it would not be the glory of god alone it would be god's glory and your glory because look how good you were this is all for god's glory because of him are ye in Christ Jesus. Because of him. Because of God are ye in Christ Jesus. It's not you. It's God. Ye are in Christ Jesus who of God is made us unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Can I, I don't mean to burst anybody's bubble. But you are not going to heaven 
to get a crown so you can parade around heaven to show people how, how, how successful you were on earth. I get annoyed when every time a preacher talks about, are you going to get my crowns when I go to heaven? They have zero concept. I don't know what is meant by a crown. I do not know what that looks like. But I do know this. If by the grace of God I do get any crown, I will want to get it off of my head as soon as I can and place it at the feet of Jesus. Because I will know beyond a shadow of a doubt that I didn't do anything. Christ and Christ alone. For his glory alone. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16 in closing. Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That's all of him. And tonight, if, if you're desiring to be saved, you know that you're not what you should be. And perhaps tonight you, you understand that something needs to change. And maybe, maybe this evening you know that you've never been saved. And maybe you're not even really interested at the moment, but maybe you are. Maybe you're beginning to be uncomfortable about your sin and the, and the, the repercussions of your sin, the punishment that will come soon, the judgment of God that will come. Can I tell you the only hope of salvation that you have is by you turning your eyes into Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. The only hope that you have is that marvelous grace of God that you would believe on Christ who died for you. Christian, this is the time to earnestly contend for the faith. There's a lot of nonsense being preached from pulpits today. A whole lot of nonsense. Only God's word a Catholic man got upset with me recently and said, you Christians in your sola scriptura. I said, well, why does that bother you so much? Why does that bother you so much that this is our guide? With the spirit of the living God through the word of God, this is our guide. Why does that bother you so much? That bothers him because then that strips away all the other extracurricular things. Strips it all away. If it's not found here, may the Lord give us a greater hunger for this word. I, I'm, I'm thankful to God how he's using some of our men to preach. And I'm praying that he'll raise up more men and that the men who are currently preaching will not simply fill a pulpit, but will thunder the word of God. That this nation would be taken by force, great power and authority, not because of any any method or way, but because we have returned to the basic principles of God's word. There's a confidence in that. Did you know that? There's a confidence in standing on the scriptures, a confidence in standing on Christ. There's a confidence we can say that you're saved by grace alone through faith alone, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's a confidence. We're not adding anything to it. May the Lord help us with this. Let's bow our heads in prayer and then we'll sing our final hymn. Heavenly Father, help us to not simply know and talk about these thoughts, but may we believe them and hold to them strongly, determined not to let anything else 
be added alongside of thy word. We pray that we might take thee at thy word, that we would believe that if you wrote it, it is true. We pray, Father, that we might believe that Christ and Christ alone is our hope of salvation. That his work is a finished work. Help us to recognize the glory and the beauty of grace. Help us to delight in this marvelous grace. And may we take comfort when we feel as, as if we failed. May we take comfort when we feel as if we've struggled a bit, knowing that it is thy grace. Grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. May we be men and women of faith. May we earnestly contend for the faith. May we be increased in faith. We pray like the disciples, increase our faith. We pray like the gentleman once prayed, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help us to fear nothing and no one but thee, Lord. Help us to love the word so much that as we read it, we, be, we believe and begin to understand that faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And Father, may we live and breathe for thy glory. May we give all that we have and all that we are unto thy glory. Not that we can pat each other on the back and not that we can boost one another's ego, but so that we can say all glory be to Christ our King. Help us, we pray. In a day when the darkness is being exalted and celebrated, may we be those who lift high the lantern of thy word, the light of truth, May Christ Jesus be exalted in our conversation, in our life. And we pray that souls would find true salvation. We pray for those to be delivered, people to be delivered from, uh, from different organizations and, and groups and churches that are teaching a false gospel, a false doctrine, leading people to hell. We pray, Father, that they would be saved, plucked, we pray for others who have no faith at all that we might be used to show them the wonderful, unsearchable riches of Christ. Bless thy people, we pray. In Jesus Christ's name.